And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It is, of course, Thursday as uh, we get ready to roll into halfway through the month of August already. I mean, just kind of creeping up on us. Uh, kids getting ready to go back to school. It's all kind of getting started up here. So uh, yesterday, of course, the big news, uh, inflation. Wanted to go through a little bit of uh, inflation talk this morning because it's getting a little bit inflated. Um, go Coming out of the White House in particular, Joe Biden out yesterday talking about, well, we need to get oil prices down and oil prices have been declining, but yet gas at the pump, it's, you know, it's, it's too high, right? It's still up there. And look, we talked about this before. There is a difference between oil prices and gasoline at the pump prices. That is supply and demand driven. Oil prices are driven by commodity traders and futures. And those don't necessarily have anything to do with each other in the short term. Yes, over time, if there's a big drop in oil prices, gasoline prices will come down. But you will notice that when we actually had negative oil prices back in May of last year, Somehow gasoline prices didn't get below about, you know, two, two fifty a gallon here in, in Texas and you know, in other other parts of the country. It still stayed up over three dollars a gallon or more. And this is about supply and demand. Ultimately, what what retailers charge for gasoline is driven by the supply and demand of the gas stations where you live. So in California, where they have higher taxes, et cetera, all those gas prices are related to that area. Taxes, the demand for gasoline at those areas doesn't have a lot to do with oil prices. There's not a direct correlation between a $5 decline in oil prices and a, and a dollar decline in gasoline prices. But this is the misnomer that has occurred in markets, right? So we want to go after the energy companies. See, just another good reason to go after these oil companies because they're not lowering the price at the pump. ExxonMobil has nothing to do with the price of gasoline at an ExxonMobil station, which is owned by your neighbor and is a retail <laughs> provider of services in your neighborhood. So this is one of the old things like, you know, high oil prices, go pick at your Exxon, you know, mobile station and let's go after ExxonMobil. They, they don't care. They just sell the gasoline <laughs> ultimately to the retail station. What the retail station does is their deal. But again, this also has a lot to do with retail sales, right? When we talk about retail sales, it is a function of the dollar volume of gasoline bought at a retail store, not the actual volume of gasoline sold at the retail stores. But let's get into some of these stories again. This is just a lot of the, the you know, headlines that run around that are completely wrong. But let's talk a little bit about inflation. Inflation did soften a bit yesterday, and that was actually a bit of good news, right? Markets liked it a bit here because, again, a little bit softer inflation. Maybe the Fed won't hike as soon as we expect. We'll talk about that with Michael Leibowitz here in just a few minutes. But we did see a little bit softer core CPI inflation yesterday, and we saw sectors of the market performed well. Of course, energy stocks did well. Economic recovery stocks 
did well, Caterpillar, Deer, Union Pacific Railroad, UPS, et cetera. Those companies did well yesterday because of lower prices on inflation feeding through. But again, as we kind of really look at this, you know, the breakdown of homeowners equivalent rent, new autos, those still continue to be the real drivers here of inflation. About 50% of your inflation coming from homeowners equivalent rent and of course these used car prices right the used car prices are, are very high here so a lot of that inflationary pressure in the short term is coming really from those two primary areas but this is an interesting thing here as we talk about homeowners equivalent rent which is this made up metric by the <laughs> by the government to calculate supposedly what you pay for a house has nothing to do with home prices uh, rent for primary residences have been falling now really for the last couple of years. So if you go to rent your primary residence, that rate of, of rent has actually been declining here. There's been a deflationary trend in homeowner renting of residences, right? But as opposed to that, the homeowner's equivalent rent has been surging. So again, this just really doesn't you know, line up with a lot of things that are going on in the markets. But look, home prices are high. People that are buying homes are paying through the nose for them right now. That looks like we may have kind of reached the peak of home price appreciation. And if we take a look at what's going on with automobiles, new vehicles, prices have been going up here. We are seeing price inflation in uh, new cars. But over the last month, now this is a bit deceptive. It looks like used car truck prices declined sharply last month. That's not what happened. That's not what this shows. Basically, all it says is that used car and truck prices didn't change last month. That's all that means. There was no real change on a month over month basis in the price of a used car sale. So if you bought a used car last month and this month, basically exactly the same price. But that does feed back into the inflation measure as softer inflation because it didn't go up. And that's why you did see a little bit of, of softness in the CPI number yesterday. And that was because used car and truck prices didn't change a whole lot last month. Um, but as we continue to look forward here over the course of the next few months, CPI is running well above trend. And that's what you would expect to happen with, you know, you put $5 trillion worth of liquidity into the market. Now you're talking about another $5 trillion with uh, infrastructure spending bills. Not surprising you're getting above trend inflation. Inject another $5 trillion into the economy, you're going to get more inflation on top of that. Not to mention the debt problem, but we'll get to that story in a minute. <laughs> but um, inflation is going to remain above trend here for quite some time, even as the base effect rolls off. And this is going to, and as Mike and I will talk about in a minute, that's what is going to really kind of put the Fed into a box here in terms of continuing this $120 billion a month in liquidity. And really, if you look forward, the median inflation, so if you strip out the, 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 the most inflation and the least inflation, get your median, that remains well above trend here and, and certainly seeing an increase in inflation on a median basis. Now, whether or not this is transient is going to be the big story for the Fed because some some of these things are not transient. Some of these things like higher gasoline prices, higher food prices, uh, clothing prices, etc. Those aren't transient. Those are going to stay here for a while. Some of the other stuff is transient. It's going to roll off used car prices, an example. Um, but that median inflationary pressure is there. And this is something that may start to worry the Fed here sooner, really, rather than later in terms of raising interest rates. Um, real quick on the markets yesterday. Uh, exuberance is kind of coming out of the markets a bit here. Not surprising. Markets really haven't done a whole lot. Yes, we set new highs yesterday, but barely. I mean, again, this has been the whole thing. We, we set new highs. It's a bear. It's, it's barely a move in the markets. We were up about 20 bips yesterday. 
Volume continues to be really weak here. So exuberance really kind of coming out of the market. Um, but allocations remain extremely strong here. 64.8% allocated to stocks across the board. That's a very, very high level, higher than even in 1999. So investors still very, very aggressive here. We're watching options volatility as well as options trading. Options here, it's, uh, the put-call ratio is supportive of these asset prices at the moment. That's why they're kind of hanging in here. But option volume, very, very long on the, on, the, on the bullish side. So again, plenty of fuel here for a correction if something does begin. So uh, again, kind of keep a watch on the markets here. There is some weakness underlying uh, the surface. We talk about that. Uh, get ready to wrap up here. One third of Americans believe in aliens. This is also the same, same one-third of Americans that believe that you know, another $5 trillion in debt and socialism is actually a good thing for the economy. So <laughs> when we come back from the break, uh, we'll talk to our resident alien, Michael Leibowitz, about the Federal Reserve, what's going on with that. So uh, again, you know, are they going to taper? What's the timeline look for that? And potentially, what's the outcome here for the markets in your money? Don't go away. More of the Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back to Stone's Morning at 617. Michael Leibwitz joining me live from uh, his bunker in, uh, up in the Northeast. So we'll, we'll, we'll forgive him for that. He's right in the heart of the whole dead issue and center of the world. So. About seven, eight miles away from here. You can hear, if you listen close late at night, you can hear the printing presses going. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. So let's talk a little bit about uh, inflation yesterday. Let's start there. I was just touching on this a second ago at the open. Just wanted to kind of get your take on it, too. There was a little bit of, shall we say, moderation in the rate of inflation um, last month. Yeah. And again, uh, kind of got the markets a little bit excited at, uh, yesterday. They, you know, they kind of opened and closed about at the same level. So we didn't really make a whole lot of progress. And that's really kind of been the case here for the last couple of weeks. It's just been kind of this... You know, it's they're hanging in there, and despite the fact that I mean, you take a look at earnings. Earnings season's been great, um, but you know, companies really aren't getting rewarded for spectacular earnings. You know, you're not seeing a lot of stocks open up 20, 30 percent because they reported great earnings. Uh, Neo, as an example, electric car company, uh, one of the kind of the meme stock favorites for electric cars. Uh, stocks about flat this morning after you know showing some you know really some very good sales for the company yesterday. So. Uh, kind of looking like that, kind of that, some of that speculative interest is coming out of the markets. But, you know, this inflation is one of the things that may have been kind of holding the markets back here, worrying that, you know, high rates of inflation are going to make the Fed taper sooner. They're going to, you know, have to start hiking rates sooner. We've heard a lot of Fed speakers coming out recently talking about, hey, potentially having to hike rates uh, sooner rather than later. But did this moderation in inflation yesterday kind of, 
take that pressure off the Fed short term? Yes and no. I mean, the Fed's juggling a lot of different factors. So we kind of start with inflation. And look, we've all become CPI experts now over the last year, right? I mean, and I, virus experts. Don't forget that. I'm, we're we're, right, we're all right. virologists now. <laughs> it's kind of scary. Yesterday, so the, the CPI puts out their report and they put out a, a what they call a, a, a table and it's got about 20 line items at the highest level, food, mm -hmm. energy, and and some breakdowns, but it's only about 20, 20 or so items. And yesterday I was upset because they didn't put out their supplemental, which includes like 360 line items all the way down to crackers and pet food and you Crack. name it. So <laughs> it's out this morning so I can geek out on some of that data. But just glancing over it, you can see the just the anomalies in prices, just things that that were flat for the last few months, mm -hmm. all of a sudden are up 15%. Other things are down a lot. You talked about used cars. Mm -hmm. They were essentially flat month over month. Right. That has a huge effect because they were rising 10, 15% and was, despite it being a small part of the CPI calculation, its contribution was playing a big role. It was contributing a quarter to a third of the whole CPI increase. Right. So, Let's keep in mind, used car prices are much higher than they were a year ago. But if they just stay at these high levels, very high levels, it'll still be very high in a year compared to where they would have been. But the CPI component will be zero. Right. The Fed will call that deflation. Right. Right. So it's going to actually be a drag on inflation. If you assume inflation runs at 2% and you got one component at zero, it's actually going to be a drag. Right. Mm -hmm. You look at energy. Gasoline was up a lot yesterday. But the problem with the way they calculate gasoline and crude oil and all the other components, jet fuel, you name it, is that it lags three months. So we're still looking at data from spring. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can go look at oil prices. We know what's going to happen with the energy component. It's just going to take a little while just because of the way they do the calculation. But crude oil is down to mid upper 60s versus the lower mid 70s. So, again, like car prices, it may, you know, it'll level off here, mm -hmm. maybe come down a little bit. But that's going to have a drag on inflation effect. And then I heard you talking about shelter. Shelter's the wild card because it's about 30 percent of CPI. And we know that home prices are going through the roof and we know that rental prices have just started to pick up. But we also know that the Fed's calculation of both of those has nothing to do with reality. <laughs> and, and, exactly. and look, it's not what's happening today. Go back and look at a graph. Actually, it was in I wrote an article a few weeks ago about CPI, something about is it transitory? Um, and I show a graph that compares uh, the Fed's component of the housing component of CPI to what was going on with prices in 2002 to 2007, eight. And they're they're they just don't tell the same story at all. Right. Well, so, this is but but again, that's kind of a really big you know statement there, which is that you know going back to what you talked about earlier, yeah, you know, auto prices don't have a big input into the calculation, et cetera. But home prices or this homeowner's equivalent right. rent is is roughly thirty percent of the calculation. So if homeowner's equivalent rent just flatlines from one month to the next or one quarter to the next all of a sudden you're going to have a big deflation in CPI. So, 
you know, again, people are going to go, I, I, you know, hey, I can't afford to live, but hey, there's no inflation. This is great, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but that's going to be the real it, problem. Right. But the, the other side of that is if it even starts to slightly mimic what's going on in the real world, mm -hmm. we're going to have inflation regardless of what pet food prices and used car prices are doing. Right. No, th no, that's right. And again, this is, you know, well, this is one of the things that, you know, uh, Joe Biden was saying yesterday, he was talking about gasoline prices at the pump. You know, they haven't, you know, oil prices have come down from 70 to 60, but gasoline prices haven't dropped. So we need to investigate, you know, these gas stations, make sure they're not price gouging people. And there's really not a big correlation between oil, the movement oil prices and gasoline, as I was saying at the, at the opening of the show. But, you know, but this is a point also that is a bit of a misnomer for, I guess the Fed at this point, I shouldn't say a misnomer, but really kind of a mistake maybe the Fed makes in terms of their monetary policy because, you know, they look at trimmed mean PCE, which is the personal consumption expenditure index, which is even different than CPI. So um, that's something else to talk about, you know, later. But, you know, when we talk about CPI, we strip out food and gas to talk about core well, who uses inflation. that stuff. right and who uses when was the last time you bought food or gas uh, exactly but the the point is is that you know food and gas are much stickier price wise than a lot of the other components in the cpi index because well, it's stuff that people is. buy every well not gas so much well yeah it is i mean yeah, gasoline much, prices right. don't fall once they go up much they do sure they do no they don't because yes, in Texas, it's always 50 cents a gallon. Up well, exactly. Coast, they do. We actually pay. That's because we live close to the pump, right? I mean, I don't have a pump in my backyard. I got to go to a gas. You have gas stations what, what, down what's, there? What's, what's, what, what's gas a gallon in, in uh, Maryland? The cheap stuff is in the low to mid threes. Okay. So when was the last time it was below three? Um. It kind of, uh, over the last year, it got to about three if you kind of found a cheap uh -huh. gas station. Right, right. So when was the last time it was below three? It was prior when? to like 2018, 19. It was in the mid twos. Okay. Yeah. And when was it? And, and look, it was in the fours too yeah. during parts of COVID. Okay. But during parts of COVID, right. But this is my point is that during that, during that period of time, right, you say gas prices go down. No, they didn't. Oil prices went negative during COVID, yeah. and you were still over $3 a gallon. Right. So that's my point, is that gasoline prices don't can, really fall that much. Can you send me a well to throw in my backyard? Yeah, I can. I'll just got to yeah. be some, corn, just, some kind just, of shale up here. I'll, <laughs> well, just, uh, Brent and I will just throw some oil in a FedEx package for you and send it over. Okay, deal. You can just process deal. it in your backyard with your beer. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, and this is my point, you know, food prices don't decline much. You know, once you charge a higher price for a bag of potato chips, that really doesn't change much, even if inflation falls. And those things are really sticky. And that's stuff that people buy every single week, right? right. It's, you know, you know, once I have a mortgage payment, that doesn't change. You know, my mortgage payment is set for 30 years. Right. You know, uh, my taxes, they change a bit, but they're not you know, they go up every year, period. They inflate every year, regardless. Um, my auto insurance may change a little bit. My car note doesn't change, but food and gas prices change every single month and utility costs. Those, those go up and they don't typically come back down. 
Uh, and that's the thing that we kind of miss when we talk about inflation or the Fed talks about inflation. It's like, well, there's really not much inflation in the economy. The problem is wages aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation that we do have that consumers have to spend on every single month. Right. And it affects, you know, we've talked about this before. It affects some people more than others. Right. Lance, on your salary, food and energy are nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. For right. the rest of us. <laughs> you forget I have like five kids and 12 wives. I don't know what I have. All I have is a lot of bleed at my home. That's all I know. <laughs> uh, but for the rest of us, food and energy can be a big part of spending. And it can be really, you know, have a huge effect. And, and so I think there's a huge threat with food and energy because they are the prices we know. Right. 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 They're the like I told you exactly where I know where gasoline mm -hmm. is every day. It's probably the only price in the world I know where where it's at, give or take a nickel or a dime. Right. Right. Food prices. My, my wife can do the same thing for you. She'll tell you what what's going on. She actually I was complaining about our credit card bill last month. And she said, have you seen food prices? It costs me so much now to go to Trader Joe's or Harris Teeter, wherever she's going. Right. right. So so that becomes noticeable. And that that's, I think, one of the biggest risks is it gets into the mindset and you start getting into uh, I'm going to buy a little bit more this month because the price is going to go up next month. And that's a behavioral inflation. That is another threat. Yeah. Well, uh, the one well, the one question about this we didn't answer. Let's talk about this when we come back is the Fed now. Um, Jackson Hole coming up. What do, how do they factor this in? Do they potentially move up this idea of taper? hiking rates or is this something where they say well you know it looks like it's softening here we can kind of keep doing what we're doing for now be right back after the break with michael leibwitz don't go away to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. It's 6.33 this morning. Michael Leibowitz joining me, of course, as always. And, uh, Talking a little bit about inflation, and the reason this is uh, kind of an important point is a couple of reasons. One, it does have economic consequences, obviously, and particularly at a time when wages aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation. Uh, yeah, we're seeing some wage inflation at you know the lower end of the pay scale, restaurant workers, etc. We're seeing you know a lot of headlines talking about how their pay is going up, but really at the middle to top end pay scales, not seeing a lot of change in wages, and those wages haven't really grown much. Uh, really since 1999. We've seen some increases, but not nearly enough to keep up with the real cost of living. So it's a problem. Um, but again, you know, part of the you know, issue is that we have this real dichotomy between what's happening in the markets versus what's happening for you know, 80% of Americans that are just really trying to make ends meet on a month-to-month -month basis. Um, markets continue to do very well because $120 billion a month, not surprising, uh, with that much liquidity being put in. That's why there's not any real risk at this moment apparent in the markets. But, you know, we're coming to that point to where the Fed is starting to rumble a little bit more about 
you know, potentially having to taper and hike rates. We've had a few Fed speakers come out recently talking about, hey, maybe need to accelerate that timeline a bit uh, to start reducing this this liquidity uh, and this accommodation to the markets. Now, that certainly doesn't sound like a bad thing. I mean, markets are up, you know, 100% since the uh, 2020 lows. So, you know, hey, take a little of the accommodation off. It's great. Earnings are good. Economy's great. You know, no, no big deal. Problem is, is every time we try to do this, we tend to have bigger corrections in markets 2018, 2020, et cetera. So, you know, uh, removing accommodation um, is essentially the same as taking away crack from a from an addict. And the markets don't deal well with that. And here's so there's the question to Michael Leibowitz. Did this inflationary number yesterday um, you know, change the dynamic for the Fed at this point? Did it take some pressure off of them to potentially not have to start, uh, you know, reducing accommodation and tie that into the employment report, which has been fairly strong lately? So I would say it probably didn't based on what there were a few Fed speakers yesterday. And almost all of them are saying that they, they want to taper soon as early as September. That's their next meeting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, one good number, it's not even a good number. Inflation was still pretty high, right? It's still running at a very high rate, well above their 2% target. But I think employment is where things get more interesting because they've really said we're not going to taper or raise rates or do anything different until the employment, until we get back, until we make progress. This is their words, till we make substantial progress towards full employment, right? So, so we got a, we got a problem now. Right. There's still about six, six and a half million people that have not got their jobs back from where we were before COVID. However, there's 10 million job openings. So there's a couple ways to think about this. Are people sitting at home and taking their stimmy checks and they're not going to work because of that? There's probably a few of those. Are there people that have been medically have medical issues because of COVID and for whatever reason they can't go to work? Yes, there's some of that. And are there people that are qualified? It's, so, so those are kind of are people willing and able to work. Then there's a question of are people qualified? So if someone's trying to hire some kind of welder that does undersea welding, that's probably a very jo- hard job to fill. Mm. Filling the McDonald's cash register is very easy. So the question is, do we, is our work, are the, are the, is the population able to to fill the needs of the employers. So if I'm the Fed, I'm saying, well, there's 10 million job openings, 6 million people or so, in theory, need jobs. What can we do? Mm -hmm. How will keeping keeping buying 120 billion of bonds a month fix that situation? The, The problem is either in training, in benefits that the government's given out, or some other thing that kind of you know, if if the government feels the need to fix it, it's much more on the legislative side, right? You can get rid of benefits. You can change ta- tax structure. You can do things. You can incentivize train job training. Those are all things that are done legislatively. That has nothing to do with the monetary side. So if, if I'm them, I'm saying we fulfilled our, you know, we have made progress. I would even almost dare to say we're at full employment. From a Fed perspective, this is what we can do. We can't do anymore. Will 12 million job openings make the situation better? So you got inflation that's running well above 
And you can make an argument that we're pretty close to full employment, especially if you take away all the people that don't want to go back to work, whether it's stimulus, whether mm-hmm. it's they'd rather stay at home with their kids, whether they've changed you know, the way they think about work. So I and I think that's what we're hearing from everyone but Jerome Powell. Jerome Powell's the only one that hasn't taken on this tone that we got to do something quick. So I think the Fed is yelling through a megaphone. Mm-hmm. That it's well, coming. And the only reason you haven't heard anything from Powell is because when Powell speaks, that's who the market listens to, right? So if right. he came out and said, hey, we're going to taper, the market's going to just lose its mind. You know, interesting, there's a, you know, talking about people, you know, wanting more benefits and, you know, these type of things. Interesting poll out this morning. Uh, survey between August 7th and August the 10th showed that 59% of Democrat voters favor socialism over capitalism. So, you know, that's, and again, that's, and this brings up the interesting point here, right? So the Fed is talk is doing $120 billion a month in QE. That means every time the, the government issues debt to fund, you know, all these programs, et cetera, the Fed is having to monetize almost the entirety of that debt issuance at this point right. in order to kind of keep the whole, you know, the whole sequence going here. Now the the Democrats are talking about passing this, you know, we just did 1.2 trillion. They're going to hold that up to get to 3.5 trillion. So add those two together, now you're almost 5 trillion dollars more in spending plus the spending you'll have to do just to run the av- the the economy anyway, right? We got to raise the debt ceiling and do the continuing resolution. So now you're talking probably somewhere between 9, you know, 8 and 9 trillion dollars of total spending over the next year. You know, the Fed's problem is that you know, somebody's going to have to monetize that debt, right? I mean, you you start sinking $9 trillion into the economy. That's almost half. That's about 40% of current GDP. You know, the Fed's going to be, you know, the Treasury Department and the White House is going to be looking at the Fed going, hey, y'all need to monetize this because nobody else is going to want it. That's going to be the problem. Right, right, right. There are big problems coming up. And the Fed is kind of mum on spending, yeah. right? You would think they'd, they'd be a little more outspoken. Um. But I don't know. Back to your poll, though, 59 percent want socialism. Do those 59 percent, are they happy? Because that's what they got. (laughs) We are now a socialist country. And, you know, we've talked about this before. You can make an argument that we're more socialist than most of Europe. Forget health care. That's just one line item. Right. Think about all the other other things. I would argue that we're more socialist yeah. in many ways. Yeah, no, I was reading an article yesterday and the guy's uh, guy talking about how we need health care like Spain has. And I lived in Spain for a year. You don't want their health care system. <laughs> you know, if you're healthy, you do. Yeah. Yeah. If you're healthy and you don't need health care, you're good. But yeah, their health is like their health care system so much better than the U.S. No, it's not. Why do you think everybody comes here? To, if you have serious treatment, where do you go? You go downtown Houston, Texas. That's where you go if you need serious you know, brain cancer, heart, you know, anything like that. Your your butt's downtown in Houston, Texas at the Med Center because that's where the best doctors in the world are. You know, it's it's always interesting. These people that write these articles, they've never actually, you know, they, they take statistics, but they've never actually experienced the system. And once you experience the system, you know the differences between healthcare and and look, yeah, our healthcare our healthcare costs may be high. But it's worth the care that you get, you know, so just be careful what you wish for. And this is this is the problem with socialism. People are wishing for something that they don't have any experience of. But yet you talk to people who immigrated here from socialist countries, they will tell you how bad socialism is. 
and why right, they're, they're here. The, 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 re- the reason they left was because of that. <laughs> right. They're the most. It's funny. I, I have met a few few people from uh, actually we had a guy that did some tile work in our house. Yeah. And he was from um, one of the old Russian communist countries that wasn't Russia. I forgot which one. Mm-hmm. Hungary. Hungary. Okay. And he was a staunch conservative in the traditional view, not not necessarily supporting these you know current political players, but just from a staunch you know conservative view that capitalism rules. And I, I've known a few people that have either family from that you know, from mm. some of those countries or just from those countries. And it's the same thing. They are staunchly against socialism because they feel that's the road to communism and they've lived it. They yeah. understand it. And that's the path we're on. So all the Democrats that aren't happy that voted 59 percent, you actually are, you know, we are socialists now. You, you really need to think about what you mm. want because I think what a lot of people don't understand is what we really do want is capitalism. That's just not what we have. Right. We have corporatism. We have governmentism. We have everything but capitalism right now. <laughs> exactly right. You know, and that's and that's and that's the real challenge here. You know, we want more. You know, we keep voting for more debt, and this is the problem for the Fed. I think ultimately, is that if the Fed can't monetize the debt, and you have to raise interest rates, all of a sudden the costs of maintaining a lifestyle is going to be impossible for about 80% of Americans. And it's going to increase the demand for more payments, more debt, more socialism, which only makes the system worse, financially speaking, in terms of just trying to make ends meet. That wraps up the show for the day. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Be sure to get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That's realinvestmentadvice.com. Of course, send us your questions, comments, emails, whatever we can do to help you. More than happy to do it. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, and we'll notify you of all of our video updates as they come out. And of course, get our latest blog post and newsletter at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday.